Okay. Uh, so again, ni nice to see you here again and uh, relate to you a little bit in this kind of uh, interpersonal way of speaking. I'm speaking and you're listening right now. And uh, I would like to begin, first of all, I encourage you to see what it's like to practice while you're listening to the talk. And uh, the instructions about that I'll give later, but see what, what, what calls you to practice right now, even as you're listening to the talk. And you can look at me, I'm fine if you see me, and uh, you look around, or you're, or you're relaxed. I'm not saying sit formally in meditation, but don't stop practicing now because somebody's speaking, because it's a talk. And I'll, I'll say more about this as I go through the talk. Uh, I'd like to begin with a quote from my teacher's teacher's teacher. Right? From my teacher's teacher's teacher, which, uh, whose name was Ajahn Mun. And Ajahn Mun said this, he said, in your investigation of the world, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to, to desert the body. Never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. And then he goes on, he says, when its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of mind can shine forth timeless and delivered. Sounds beautiful to me what he's pointing at and what's possible for each of us. And we've been pointing at or talking about the the first foundation of mindfulness, which sometimes I call bodyfulness, because um, it's pointing at what's sitting in your seat, right? What's right here. And I always appreciated um, Munindraji, who, uh, who would always say, oh, the whole Dharma's right here, and he would point at you, right? The whole Dharma's right here. And in my slightly more contemporary language, I would say, oh, this is the whole show right here. here here's the whole deal right here. And, and, and you don't have to go anywhere for it. You, you've already got it. But we want to contemplate what's here. We want to be mindful or bodyful or heartful of what's here. 
and see what Ajahn Mun was pointing at, calling, saying, when its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. Beautiful invitation to practice. And I know many of you have been practicing for, you know, many weeks now. And some of you are newer, meaning you started a few days ago. But still that invitation to begin right now is always in the foreground of practice. This moment is brand new. Right? And even though you've probably had at least um, 14,278 moments if you've been here for a few days, uh, this moment is brand new. And so the opportunity to practice is brand new. It's right here. It's being given. It's being offered to us. And it's part of our good fortune that we're here and we can give ourselves back, give ourselves to practice, give ourselves to the Dharma. As, as Winnie pointed out last night, she said, we have the opportunity to get an undistorted view of reality. I, and I love that idea, I love that truth, because we are reality. Right? I, you may have forgotten that or not known that, but let me remind you that reality is sitting in your seat. It's reality that's being mindful. It's the aliveness of whatever we are that is learning how to be mindful and pay attention and discriminate and know and understand and wake up right here, right here with all our pluses and minuses. And of course, I don't mean to offend anybody who has no minuses, but I have pluses and minuses, so I'm assuming some of you might have pluses and minuses. So the first foundation of mindfulness body fullness. <clears throat> it's, it's very simple, right? It's just working with what's here. And in fact, the whole Dharma is very simple. It's working with what's right here, right now. Whichever component of experience is present, that's what we're working with, especially as we open up the field of awareness to include all four foundations of mindfulness, heartfulness, body fullness. And then whatever's here becomes our practice. And right now we're, be, we're just opening it up meaning beginning at the first foundation, because I'm not sure if somebody said this in the room, I think you might have said it, you talked about what a foundation is last night. Yeah, it's beautiful, because that's what this is. This is the first foundation of all four foundations. And so this, everything builds on this first foundation of just being here in our bodies and staying awake. 
and seeing what we discover with whatever is happening, whether we like what's happening or we don't like what's happening. And it's one of the beauties of the Dharma immediately. When it's not trying to give us what we like. It's giving us reality, what's true. And of course our minds like things and don't like things. And we'll talk more about that when we get more into Vedana. But what's really beautiful is we don't even have to believe what our mind likes or doesn't like. It's just what minds do. They like and they don't like. But we could be freer than that. We could stay right in the experiential moment of the living reality that's sitting right here, right now breathing, or feeling tired, or energized, or interested, or bored, or whatever's here. And you don't have to fix any of it. We want to be aware of it. And that's what the first foundation establishes the ground for that awareness. And so one of the ways we can play with this, and I like to use the word play more than work with it, because everybody in the United States of America works too much, in my opinion. And so let's play with things instead of work at our meditation. Let's play with our meditation so we can discover what's the truth, what's the Dharma. Right, which is often translated as truth. So what I would like to encourage you to do, if it's comfortable, is to sense your body right now and put that in the foreground of your attention. Sense or feel or be aware of your body and whatever's here, whether your body's tired or not tired or feels achy or not achy or has pain or feels great or whatever it is. But, but start to be mindful of your body right now and let me be in the background, right? And as one of my teachers said, he used to say, he, he was always, I learned a lot about samadhi with this teacher and, and he would always say, oh, stay with the breath even when he was giving a talk. And he said, if you don't hear me, that's even better. (laughs) You just stay with the breath. Because he was really encouraging a deepening of samadhi, which is one of the things that being with the body or being with sound can start to do is unify our experience. And so we, and it's part of the, of mindfulness is samadhi is part of mindfulness. It's not separate. And so see what it's like right now, most of you. If, is there anybody who, when they, you sense your body, you can't hear me and kind of even understand me? Right? Please raise your hand if, if you're that uh, developed. Um, but, yeah, but generally you can actually be aware of your body and other things are here, 
right? You're aware of my voice and the words and what you're thinking about what I'm saying or feeling about what I'm saying, and that's all good. But you just want to look, keep putting the somatic, kinesthetic, energetic experience in the foreground. And those are those are really Eugene's way of pointing at this at what's sitting here. It's not just physical, although it is physical, but it's more than physical what's sitting here. And and to start to be mindful, heartful, body full of the experience that's sitting here. And listen to my talk and be aware you'll be aware of what you think and or what you feel. And I just wanted to go a little further into the Satipatthana. I don't know if you noticed, but almost everybody's brought this book up with them, even if they don't use it. So I thought I would show it to you. Satipatthana, it's it's my favorite book on mindfulness. When people say, oh, do do you have any good books on mindfulness? I say, oh yeah, I have one. And I say, this book, this, this is really great book. And there are many, many good books on mindfulness. This is the one I like, right? And it's not just stories. This is about the practice. And it's a beautiful teaching from the Venerable Analyo. And I've had the good fortune to sit with Analyo a number of times and also teach with him. And um, I've learned a tremendous amount from this book and from him. And that's part of what I hope and I believe is being transmitted here because we've all used this book or know or sat with Analyo. And, um, and in the book, he talks about postures. And uh, I don't always use his translation. This is also a piece we've been pointing at. There are different translations of the Pali, of the teachings from the first foundation of mindfulness. Um, And so I use the translation that speaks to me, that I feel, that lights me up that feels clear to me, that I know. And I respect the other translations, but I'm gonna use the ones that um, light me up. And so what I wanna speak about tonight formally from the, from the Satipatthana teaching is what's called postures and full awareness. Postures and full awareness. And there are two sections and I'll speak about each one. And uh, I'll read you the postures, bhikkhus. Bhikkhus is um, a word that means monastics. Um, I like to think of it as practitioners. I broaden the definition. So you're hearing Eugene's translation now. I broaden the definition to mean practitioners or sincere practitioners or devoted practitioners, which you all are. And so it says bhikkhus, when walking, a bhikkhu understands or knows, and those are the same word, the translation of the same word could be the bhikkhu knows or the bhikkhu understands, I am walking, right? So the practitioner knows I am walking or the practitioner understands I am walking. And then when standing, one understands I am standing. 
and when sitting, one knows I am sitting, and when lying down, one understands I am lying down, or one understands accordingly to however the body is disposed. So even right now, sensing, feeling, being aware of your body, you're in a posture. Mostly some, most people I see are in sitting. Some people may be lying down, right? And of course you can stand during the talk also, and that's fine, because all the postures are an opportunity to be aware and to start to be, uh, to have an embodied awareness, start to reveal the Dharma to you. And so just sense the form your body has taken right now. And it can be very relaxed, it can be very upright, whatever you, whatever you like. Or even if you don't like it, you're still in that posture, right? And that's, that's an important part of this, because I find this teaching so, it's been so helpful to me. And it's been one of my main doorways, especially at the beginning of my practice, was working with my body. Right? <clears throat> and um, uh, so part of what I found very helpful as a young man practicing was the postures and the body and then what happened when I began to get closer or more intimate with what's right here, right? And so, and I want to be careful because some people, everybody's got a different relationship with their body and uh, some people it's no big deal. Some people have had difficult bodies, meaning in terms of physical pain, injury, etc. Some people uh, have had um, difficult experiences because of their body from other people, right? Whether it's been some kind of abuse or trauma or, um, or the prejudice or bias or racism that comes from having a certain color body, right? And so that comes into play as we start to get closer to our body. And so I'm hoping also to say some more ways that we can still be embodied in a way that maintains some balance. And so you could be in your whole body, or you can be in part of your body, or some very teeny, minute portion of your body, or you could sense the space around your body if it's too uncomfortable to go into any part of your body, right? So I'm just giving you a few potential possibilities. <clears throat> because um, experiential mindfulness is not from a distance. We want to be here. It's not just in this part of our body, which is our where people often think their mind is, which is actually not accurate. I mean, I think we have a brain in here. Um, 
I mean, we have a what's called the brain in there, which is just part of the body, right? So even when we're here, we're in our body, but we don't think that way. We think we're in our mind as if the mind is only in the brain, which is actually not accurate. There's a great um, article, which I'm forgetting the name of. It was in Sun Magazine about 2013, and it's about the brain in the belly the brain in the belly, and that they've discovered that the same kind of um, uh, knowing and um, neur- neur- neurons, what, what's in the brain? There's neurons, right? There's a, there's a, pardon? Neurotransmitters, that's also in the belly, that there's some form of that in the belly. And some people are belly people, like they feel things before they think things. And of course, we live in uh, the United States of America. It tends to be a a head-centered country, but that's not the only way people live. Other countries, other cultures are belly-centered or heart-centered depending on the culture. And it's beautiful when we each have an opportunity to be in other cultures that are not the one we're used to, so we can start to see how really beautiful reality is, whether it's head, heart, or belly. And I believe, especially the first foundation, is starting to learn something about this belly-centeredness that's possible. So the postures, one other piece I want to say about all of this and about what it might take to support an embodied awareness is it's really, really been helpful for me and many people that I've worked with to relax. And so even now, as you're feeling your body or sensing it or aware of it, also relax. And don't just relax your body, relax your mind, relax your heart, relax your attention, and see how the knowing is still here. And again, I hope we as a team keep encouraging you to relax and let yourself be here and discover the Dharma that's sitting in your seat. So I thought I'd say a little bit about postures. Uh, And I had memories when I started today when I was preparing this. I remembered, uh, and I was so glad, um, Bhante, that you did standing meditation because um, it's not, people don't do it that much. And uh, it took me a while to figure out, oh, you don't have to do anything. You can just stand there. And that's like totally legit. (laughs) And so, especially in my first long retreats, this is at IMS many, many years ago, I started standing and I liked it. And it was like, oh, this is a great way to practice. You just stand. 
you don't even, I didn't even have to cross my legs or anything, which hurt me. My legs would hurt, you know, I'd sit for whatever, 45 minutes or, <laughs> actually my first retreat, I spent days trying to sit for 45 minutes without moving. My, my body just hurt like hell. And it was like, and I watched people settle in. I watched people, and I was like, I kept looking around like, how the hell are they doing that? You know, because they were, they were getting calmer and quieter and you could feel it, you could see it. And and then one night I, I prayed, which I know you're not supposed to do in Buddhism, <laughs> but I prayed for help. And the next day I got up and I just vowed to sit for 45 minutes and not move. Because they'd been saying, you know, just sit and don't move. And I was like, and it, it was killer, kill me. Oh, my knees hurt and everything hurt. And I kept being aware and aware of the pain and aware of hating it and aware of my mind saying, ring the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell, <laughs> ring the bell. And then a really interesting thing happened. Because I kept sitting and I didn't move and it hurt. It was very difficult. But the bell rang and the pain went away and the bell went away and I went away. And that got me interested because there was some samadhi developed by being very diligent about not moving and working with pain right? And the pain went away. Now, I just want to warn you, the pain came back, but not so soon. It took a while because the samadhi, the, the uni, unification of heart and mind and body that happened is very um, blissful at times and very, um, it's like somehow everything is okay for a while. So that's my little sitting part of the four um, postures that I want to encourage you to sit and really sit and be with what's here when you're sitting. And of course, don't hurt your body. Really, I don't recommend that. And I was young enough, I didn't hurt my body. These days, I don't, I don't do that kind of pain because um, I'm old and I don't need to do that. Um, but the uh, but but one can do that, and one can learn a lot about the discipline of just staying still and what what happens in the mind when things are happening that we don't like, because that's very liberating or was for me. And then I also started, as I said, I started doing some standing meditation and then after about a, four days or a week, maybe it was two weeks, I started doing an hour a day of standing meditation. And that was just great. So I'm, I'm partly I'm saying it to encourage you to, oh, do some standing practice and see what happens. And see what happens if you push the edge a little bit. You know, if you know, if you do it for half an hour and it feels like oh that's enough, you know, try it for forty minutes, you know. Or if you do forty, go for forty-five. If you do forty-five, go for forty-eight. Or just you know, put, don't be afraid to push the edge as long as you're not injuring yourself. Because more happens when we give ourselves to the practice instead of thinking we're doing it. Because it's 
doing us. The Dharma will do us. And that's a great blessing of this teaching of the Buddhas that he discovered. And of course, walking practice is great. Samadhi practice, just simple, right there. Just stay with the simplicity of lifting and moving and placing and going slower. See how slow you can take a step. It's a little bit altered. You can get in an altered state, you know, which I like, but, you know, it's like, and, and it was beautiful what Bhante said about the elements and being aware of the, of the wind and the, and the hardness and the cohesiveness of the water element and etc. And of course, I'm assuming you're all doing lying down meditation. Is there anybody who's not doing lying down meditation? Just one person. And people are shy. You're the only. She raised a finger. <laughs> right. Everybody else, you're all doing it good. I know you're doing it when you lie down to go to sleep. And it's a great place to do lying down meditation because it's a win-win. You know what I mean? If you if you if you meditate and you get bright-eyed in the meditation, even though your eyes are shut because you're trying to go to sleep, then that's a good meditation. Right? And if you fall asleep, it's not a problem because you're going to sleep. <laughs> right? So I'm just trying to encourage your awareness in the different postures, including lying down. Um, and then the second part that I want to talk about, which is uh, practicing in full awareness. Uh, uh, there's a word, samapajana, pajana, prajana. No, excuse me, sampajana, sampajana. I'm looking at the at the um, the Mahayana version, um, um, which means the prefix means sampa means intensifying or completing. And uh, dana means knowing or understanding. So intensifying one's knowing, intensifying one's, completing one's understanding of the direct experience that one is having in the living moment of right now, right? Getting close, in my language, oh, it means to get closer to it, to become more intimate with it, to become one with it so that we know it like it's not even separate from us. And the other translations for Sampajana, which I like, full awareness is, um, some people call it clear comprehension or clear knowing, alertness. Uh, but the one I like is full awareness. Bhikkhu Bodhi uses that and uh, Jnana Moli uses that, some other people. Somebody, uh, Sujato, calls it situational awareness. Somebody else calls it clear awareness, but it's awareness, right? While everything is happening, because it's during, this is a full awareness during all activities. And this, and the, here's from the, from the Sutta. 
practitioner is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning. Who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning. Who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away. Who acts in full awareness when flexing or extending one's limbs. Right? Who acts in full awareness when wearing one's robes and carrying one's outer robe and bowl. Who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting. Who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating. Who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. That's really important. This is a really important part to me. And I hope you get the import, which is how do we practice in daily life is right here in full awareness of all activity, including talking and listening. Talking and keeping silent, as they say it here. And so right now, it's, and, and the, what's key is this section of the Satipatthana is the first foundation of mindfulness. It's a body practice, right? This is, this is um, what it means to be embodied and fully aware right here. It's not in the mind section of the Satipatthana. It's not in some other section, it's in the body section, how to relate. Like right now we're relating, I'm speaking to you. You're listening to me, some of you are looking at me, but but there's something happening here for both of us that's relational, that's collective in this moment. And we wanna learn very much how to practice 24-7, 24-7, and 24-7 includes 24-7 here on retreat and 24-7 in our home life, at home, at our work, with our family, with our community, with our friends, with our enemies, actually, with the people who are difficult. We want to learn how to practice 24-7. And so keep seeing what it's like to put your body in the foreground while you're listening right now. This is from Saida Utejaniya, which many of us is, who's a, a teacher who many of us have studied with, practiced with, spent some time with. And he said, don't just be mindful when you are in sitting meditation. Be mindful in all activities, postures, and movements. Be mindful when you're eating, walking, waiting, or working. Be aware when you're reading, listening, watching, or looking. So he's echoing the teachings in the Satipatthana Sutta about all activity. And in my opinion, That's all we're doing here is staying mindful 24-7. And for me, that's a devotional practice. We're devoting ourselves to the Dharma. We're devoting ourselves to 
reality, to this moment right now, wherever we are here, whatever time of day, whatever place, you're in your room, uh, you know, it's, it's great to practice in your room. It's true, nobody's there. You can practice even better sometimes when there's nobody's there, some of us. You can give yourself more fully. You can feel comfortable about making a mistake because there are no mistakes. We think there's mistakes, but we could see what happens if I stay mindful from going to the bathroom in the dorms and into my room and getting taking my clothes off and then getting in bed. Like that's a whole practice, just that. And that's what's being asked of you. I, that's, I don't like the way that sounds. It's not being asked of you. I believe that's what you're asking for of yourself because you came here to wake up. And again, the whole show is sitting in your seat. And your seat is wherever you are, whether you're standing or walking or lying down or taking your clothes on or off or eating or doing your work meditation, whatever that might be. And so the one of the skillful means that is very helpful is to see if you can devote yourself for 24 hours to just practicing wherever you are. And it's, it's in my opinion, it's good when that happens. When we start to see, oh yeah, there's nothing else I wanna do but be aware right now of what's here and at this juncture, mostly in the body, but it's really anything, even being aware that we don't want to be aware is being aware, right? You don't have to want to be aware all the time, but you could be aware of that rather than believe it. And then you're free of even your own mind, which is something most of us are not used to we keep thinking we are our minds. We don't see that there just is a mind and we can be aware of it. And there's something that's not the mind that's aware of it. So I want to say a little more about embodied awareness. And this is from, again, from Venerable and Malio. It's not from this book. It's some from this book, but it's really from another book he has about uh, Satipatthana, which is more a practice guide. And he said, he said, um, he said, when you're knowing that the body is one of the four postures or an act, any activity, it's what clinical psychology calls proprioceptive awareness. Proprioceptive awareness. And I, I love that word and I love that experience of proprioceptive awareness. The term proprioception refers to the ability to sense the position of the body and its movements. Sense the position of the body and its movements. So even now, with your eyes open or closed, you can sense the position of the body, right? Period, right? And it doesn't mean it's, it's a um, scientific 
knowledge, it's experiential knowledge, proprioceptive awareness, right? You can feel the shape your body has taken. And even if the shape doesn't match the um, um, scientific measurement of the shape, that doesn't matter. Just sense what's here as you sense the proprioception of your body. He said, even with eyes closed, we're able to know the position of the body through this type of ability. It is a felt sense of physical presence. And that's an important word, presence, because presence is not just being present. Presence is broader than being present. Being present can lead to a presence a presence of awareness which knows the experience so directly that it's not limited to the conventional understanding of what the experience is, but is greater or bigger or more complete or beyond even. So we could even sense our body and feel like we're outside of our body at the same time or something bigger than our body. And actually, I believe this happens in yoga a lot, that there's a, a fluidity of the body that one discovers and, and is possible to discover because there's more to us than just the mechanics of our body. He goes on to say, the Venerable Analyo, he says, this felt sense presence, a physical presence provides an easily available sense of here and mindfulness itself, itself keeps us in the now, right? In this way, mindfulness of the body can combine spatial and temporal dimensions that facilitate our being fu fully in the here and now. And again, this is, this is it. This is the doorway. You are the doorway. The doorway, I, I love these statues, right? These are beautiful, both these statues. And I have a lot of Buddha statues, but they're just, they're statues. This is the real thing is sitting in your seat. This is where the Dharma is alive, right here in this aliveness that's breathing, that's thinking, that's feeling, that's moving its foot, whatever happening. So just this is a little add-on from Eugene, because I, I often, when I'm encouraging people to meditate or I'm asking them about their experience, I'll say, oh, what's the kinesthetic, somatic, energetic experience that you're having? Because that broadens the whole thing, kinesthetic, somatic, energetic. And kinesthetic is uh, also referred to as proprioception. It's a, I didn't know that until today. It's the same word, basically. And, um, and it's really like, it. and I like to use those words of, of uh, kinesthetic, somatic, energetic, because they're not things, right? I'm not pointing at a thing. I'm pointing at a liveness that's sitting right here that is not static that is totally impermanent. And not, Im not just impermanent like it's gone, impermanent like it's alive. It's here right now. It's moving, changing right in this moment. 
And of course, scientifically, they know that that's true, that nothing is static in the body. And really, we know that nothing is static in all of reality. And we, we are reality in that way. We're already in harmony with reality that way, because we are not static, not even physically. Even though I know we feel stiff sometimes. And <laughs> believe me, I, I do know that. But, but, um, but here's what it said in the dictionary. Proprioception, also referred to as kinesthesia, is the, self, is the sense of self-movement and body position, sometimes described as the sixth sense, which I thought was really interesting, the sixth sense, right? And kinesthetic kinesthesia is awareness of the position and movement of parts of the body by means of sensory organs, proprioceptors, in the muscles and joints, right? So there's information in the muscles and joints. There's intelligence in the muscles and joints. And that's so beautiful because, again, it takes us out of thinking all the intelligence is in the brain, because it's not, it's here. It's living here, it's alive here, and it's alive in the whole body. So when I encourage people to become more aware of their bodies or sense their bodies, um, I think, and even with the breath, this is how I used to do it. I used to be encouraged to let let the awareness saturate the breath or permeate the breath or uh, let the breath be infused with awareness, right? Or let the, the uh, awareness soak into the body and the breathing, right? And I, and I hope you, you hear the kind of words I'm using because they're, they're sensual words, right? Soaking or permeating or saturating the body with this aware with our awareness, right? And of course, I looked up the word sensuous, and it's a neutral term meaning related to the senses rather than the intellect. And that's so beautiful because we tend to have sometimes some negative thoughts about sensuous, but I think actual, my experience is at a certain level of meditation, it's totally sensual. It's the aliveness of what's here. Even the breath is alive. It's just moving and it's doing itself. We're not even doing it. It's doing us. few more things. One is, again, from Venerable Analyo. He says, mindfulness of the body can result in a sense of being firmly grounded in the body, and it is an embodied awareness. And of course, you could do that even just with your feet. If, the, if there are parts of your body that it isn't comfortable to be in, be in your feet, or be in your elbows, or be in your hands, or be in whatever part is comfortable to be in, or be in the bigger space that your body is in. 
and he continues, he says, such embodied awareness does not need to interfere with other tasks and activities. It can accompany them. And it's really what we're asking of you now while you're here at retreat. Don't not practice whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whether you're in the bathroom or the kitchen or the bedroom or the hall or outside or doing your work. And of course, as I've said, it doesn't mean we'll always like it. Suzuki Roshi said it this way. He said, to stop the mind, to stop your mind does not mean to stop the activities of the mind. It means your mind pervades the whole body, right? Your mind follows your breathing. With your full mind, you form the mudra of your hands, which is how they sit in Zen. Right? He says, with your whole full mind, you sit with painful legs. Right? Yeah, it's just part of the deal. And so that's what it, part of what it means to give ourselves or devote ourselves to practice, to the life that's here right now. And will, will, not, only, will not always be here. It's here for a while. And we'll, probably you'll hear some talking about that later because that's also in the first foundation of mindfulness. It's about life and death also. And one more piece. This is from Miranda Shaw. She wrote a really beautiful book called Passionate Enlightenment. And, and I'll... I'll probably read it a couple times because it's a little complex, but it's worth hearing or just seeding it. You don't have to think about it a lot, but she said embodiment is understood not to be a soul in a body, but rather a multi-layered mind-body continuum of corporality, affectivity, cognitivity, and spirituality. Right? So it's a multi-layered continuum of experience, corporality, you know, of, of materiality, of affectiveness, of heartfulness, of cognitiveness, of brain, and of, and of something bigger that she calls spirituality, right? whose layers are subtly interwoven and mutually interactive. Beautiful teaching there. Right, subtly interwoven and mutually interactive. This non-self is seen as not a bounded or static entity, but as the site of a host of energies, winds, flames, dissolutions, melting, flowing, that can bring about dramatic transformations in embodied experience and provide a bridge between humanity and divinity. And so it's a beautiful potential that she's presenting us with, that there is more to what we are that may be a bridge between humanity and divinity that's sitting right here. Mm. 
And then the last piece that I'll say, it's really just a quote from Ananda, who was the attendant to the Buddha. And he said this after the Buddha died. And he was bereft, right, about the death of his beloved teacher. And I believe his cousin, I believe Ananda was his cousin, was the Buddha's cousin. And Ananda said this, he said, all the distraction, all the directions are obscure. All the directions, meaning all the teachings that he got are obscure. The teachings are not clear to me. With our benevolent friend gone, it seems as if all is darkness. So you hear his grief right, at the loss of his beloved teacher. But he goes on, he said, for one whose friend has passed away, when he says friend, he means the, the Buddha. For one whose friend has passed away, one whose teacher is gone for good, there is no friend that can compare with mindfulness of the body. There is no friend that can compare with mindfulness of what's sitting in your seat of the body. Let's sit for a minute, please. There is no friend that can compare with mindfulness of the body. <clears throat> 